0: To that. James chapter five. Will someone read it uh, again? I like to read it in the ESV. I really enjoy the ESV. It's the uh, the version that we use here at church. Uh, and then if someone will read it in a couple of other versions. So who has ESV that can read it? Is there someone with ESV? There we go. Melody, why don't you read it in ESV? And then we'll. So it's James chapter five, okay. verses seven through twelve. Go ahead.
1: Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation.
0: Great. That's the ESV. Uh, Let's see one or two other versions. Someone have a different version. Yes, ma'am. New American Standard. Go ahead.
1: Be patient, dear dear poor brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, ...or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment.
0: I, I really enjoy, uh, again, we talked about this a little bit last week. I would really enjoy having a Bible that doesn't have all the divisions. Uh, I think it, just, it would be really nice just to read it, particularly, particularly, especially... Uh, Of course, the whole Bible, but especially the epistles, which were letters. When you get a letter from a friend, he doesn't divide it out for you into verses and chapters. He just writes you a letter. And when you read the letter, you read it in the context of everything that's happening in the letter. And so I think sometimes when we read, we see these divisions and our mind breaks it at that point and changes. And we don't see some of the beauty of what's happening. Here, the division uh, happens and it's a little abrupt, but because we've kind of sectioned it out, we don't kind of see the abruptness of what's happening. Uh, Here, he's writing and he has just said things like, uh, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And he's using this very, uh, some of what we talked about, this very Old Testament imagery. Uh, of the day of the judgment of the Lord and he's talking about the day of the Lord that's coming the day of judgment and then he really he does this really abrupt switch that would be really noticeable if we had been reading it as a letter and just reading it right through so I, he says you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you be patient, therefore, brothers. And <laughs> it's this really abrupt switch, and I, I I want you to catch that because he's actually doing something really interesting. He's condemning the rich, or rather, the unrepentant rich, for focusing on themselves. And then he does he he talks about uh, them um, con- um, condemning and murdering the righteous man. And then he makes this really abrupt switch. For what purpose do you think? Why does he do that? What's going on? When I was a kid, uh, I used to. My dad, my my mom and dad would go to these pastor conventions that we would um, have in our denomination, and they'd get lots of pastors together for business meetings and uh, moments of of uh, just being ministered to as ministers. And we would always, they always seemed to be in the nicest hotels. And so I enjoyed, I enjoyed going to these hotels as a kid, particularly because I didn't have to attend a business meeting. So I spent all day long in the swimming pool. Of course, the swimming pool. And these were nicer hotels, so they didn't just have a swimming pool, they had a jacuzzi hot tub. My favorite thing to do was. Sit in the jacuzzi hot tub for several minutes. And get all nice and warmed. And then, I don't know why, I'd never do this now. Then run and jump in the pool. And then there was this really, from the, hot, the heat of the hot tub into a nice cool pool, there's just really this uh, almost jarring effect. And that's what's happening right now. It is literally designed to be this very jarring effect. So you see the difference between what happens to the unrepentant and the way God is calling us to live as Christians. So what he's doing is he begins to direct himself to the, Christ- the those Christians who had been oppressed, who had been condemned, who had been fighting the oppressors. And he shifts it so that you see the big, big difference. And he begins to talk to Christians on how we should live. So he says, hey, Rich, especially those of you who are unrepentant, here's what's going to happen to you at the coming of the Lord on the day he judges. And then he makes this abrupt shift and he says, but Christians, here's how you're to live in light of the coming of the Lord. And so he's been talking about the coming of the Lord and God's coming and he's, he's focused on the judgment for several um, in the passage before. And now he's focusing on those who live in Christ. And the expectation of how they should live. So, here's what I want you to do at your tables. We're probably going to take a little bit more time than we usually do for this. Here's what I count one, two, three, four. I count five um, things that we are called to do, five ways we are called to live in light of the coming of Christ. I count five of them in this passage from seven to 12. So what I want you to do is so I want you to sit down at your tables. I want you to look at this passage. I want to see what you come up with. What, how is God calling us to live in light of his coming? So will you do that about five minutes? I, what we come up with is the class, and then I'll show you what I came up with. Go ahead. What's another one? What's the next one? I, uh, we see stand firm Uh huh. Establish, establish your heart under the five ones that I'll show you here in a second. Uh, and I see, I heard don't judge, don't swear, a call to compassion, and mercy. Okay. Anything else we're missing on this list? Say that one more time. Look to scripture. Look to scripture. Do we have? Yeah, okay, that's the stand firm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep, your word. Keep your word. That's actually, uh, it, as we talk about some of that, this idea of patience and endurance and perseverance in this passage uh, is, is a real. It really, this passage really highlights that. Uh, I'd love to have spent the entire time talking about that. Uh, but it really is repeated time after time after time. So it's that idea of endurance and and persevere. Anything else? So I think this is a great way... uh, We really could talk about all ten of these things all day long. What I've done is I've done five of them. And I think we'll see that most everything on this board fits within the five that I've done. Uh, the very first thing he talks about is be patient. <clears throat> and then he talks about stand, don't grumble. Oops, 4 is bear suffering. So we'll read this last one. And then don't swear. Let's just go uh, verse 7. Someone read me verse 7.
1: Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and spring. They eagerly look for the valuable
0: harvest among them. And the Lord is near. Okay. So I want you to understand that the very first thing I want you to understand is all these things here, we're talking about them in light of what? In light of the coming of Christ. All of that's being talked of in light of the coming of Christ. And he starts off with this idea of be patient. What do you think he's meaning? What do you think he's trying to say? And there's a really great, uh, some really great, um, a really great analogy that he puts to play uh, in this verse. Also, what do you think he's saying? Trust. trust. Tell me more about that. Well, if you trust, you'd be more patient. If you, I love that. If you trusted, you would definitely be more patient. Great. Anybody else? Go ahead. Calm yourself. Tell me more about that. Dick, well, if, if sit... that if we were just patient, we could sit and receive what His Word was coming to us. I like that. Anybody else? It'll be in God's timing, not. It'll be in God's timing and not our timing. That's wonderful, because, particularly because of the analogy that He puts into play here. What analogy is it that He puts into play? The farmer. Who here? I don't. And I don't know if. The, if is anyone here a farmer or have experience? There's a farmer back there, some some experienced farming, or even a gardener. Any gardeners, gardeners? Some gardeners? Some experienced gardeners? I love the analogy that he puts into play because guess what? A farmer can't hurry along as much as he wants to. He can't hurry along the harvest. The harvest is going to come when it's time for the harvest to come. If you're a gardener, Right? You can't plant a seed and will it like, oh, you're going to grow, you're going to grow. you're. That's not going to happen. And so one of the things that he's telling us is, hey, be patient for the coming of the Lord. Because you have to remember, this is relatively uh, recently after Christ's death. This is not thousands of years later. And people have heard Christ say he's coming again. And guess what they want him to do? They want him to come again Right now. And, and, and here's, what, here's, what, uh, here's what he's writing. He's saying, hey, calm down. Be patient. Because there's nothing you can do to hurry the coming of the Lord. When the Lord comes, He comes. And that's it. But there's also this other idea. A farmer can't hurry along the harvest but because he can't hurry along the harvest, does he just throw up his hands and say, well, hope it goes well. Man, I, should, man, I, hope, that, I hope that seed germinates. And then go and sit down. Pray for rain. No, what he does is he does these active things, whether it's pray for rain or, or find a way to irrigate the crops. He works the land because it's not just about planting the seed and be like, oh, we're done. Well, whenever it happens, it happens. You still have to do some work. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, be patient. You can't hurry the day of the Lord. But at the same time, you have to understand that there's still work to do while we wait for His coming. So when we talk about that, when we talk about work to do while we wait for His coming, what are some of those things that we're to do as we wait patiently for the coming of the Lord? continue to get things ready for his coming part of that is discipleship part of that is reaching new people and making sure that they're ready to go I love that idea we continue to prepare all the tools and everything we need so that we're ready for the day of the Lord for his coming so that it doesn't catch us by surprise what else do we do yeah, on all these things. It's not just about preparing other people. We have to recognize that there is a spiritual element of growth that has to happen in us. And we, we're, we can talk about this. Um, I put it under don't grumble because under that idea of don't grumble, and we'll, we'll hopefully get here in just a second, under this idea of don't grumble is this idea of don't judge. Right? What, what is the? I believe it's the book of Matthew say, why are you trying to pick the speck out of your brother's eye? When what? You've got a log in your own eye. Right? And so that's, that's this idea, Miss Denise. It's, hey, you know what? Yeah, we help prepare others, but we make sure at the same time that we're working in ourselves also so that we're ready for the day of the Lord. Good. And that's, part of that is living in holiness. That's what we do as we wait patiently for the day of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How is it easier, what makes it easier to wait patiently? Being busy or not having anything to do? Being busy. busy. If you have ever worked an hourly job and you were scheduled from 9 to 5 and you go in at 9 and it's so slow you feel like no one's coming in, and you think, oh my gosh, I've been here two hours already, and then you look at your watch, and it's nine ten. <laughs> right? The converse is true also. When you go in, and there's, it's moving, 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 and you're going, 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 and you look at your watch, and it's 1 o'clock, and you haven't even had lunch, and you're like, where has the time gone? It's that idea. It's the idea of wait patiently for the Lord. But what's going to help you wait patiently for the Lord is busying yourself in the work of the Lord, just like a farmer does. A farmer waits patiently. Nothing he can do to hurry it along, but he keeps himself busy as the harvest comes. Um, yes, sir. Say, I didn't hear the very first part. What did you understanding say? Understanding the situation. Yeah, it, we definitely have to keep an understanding of what's going on and an awareness of, e- of everything that's going on around us. And I think, uh, I, if I'm absolutely honest, I think that sometimes where, where churches, and I use the, very, the term very generically, where churches um, stumble, I don't think we always have an understanding. Even as a, far, a farmer understands what's going on. He's looking at the signs. He's looking at the times. He's no He kind of has this idea. But the church sometimes stumbles because we don't keep this understanding of what's going on around us so that we're ready to do what we need to do in a particular situation. I think that's, that's, that's great insight. Um, in, that, uh, in that verse 8, it starts off with this idea. Let's see. Do not grumble. Um, okay. Um, here it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming Lord. See how the farmer waits. Um, and then the very next, it says, You also be patient. And then it says this, Establish your hearts. And some versions might. Does anyone have a version that where it says, establish your hearts, where it says, stand firm? Is that, is that in your version? Yeah, that's in your version. What do you think? So again, we're looking at all these things in light of the coming of Christ. The very next thing he says, after he says, be patient. You can't hurry this along, but you stay busy until he comes. Then he says, stand firm. What do you think he's saying? Okay. don't be swayed by false prophets it's that idea of you know what you know what you know don't let anyone come and convince you otherwise stand firm the Lord is coming again stand firm well you know what it's been a long time he said he was coming and he hadn't come oh man you're right don't give up stand firm you know what here's what I know. I know He said He's coming and I'm going to stand firm in that He's coming. And that's the way we need to be. God doesn't move according to our timetable. So as we live in light of the coming of Christ, let's just stand firm. Someone once said, never doubt in the darkness what God told you in the light. And it's this idea of standing firm. Great example of this. I have a... a, I have a... He's about to... On Thursday, my 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 boy, who is bigger and stronger than I am, and still my boy, turns 17. It, it's hard to believe. Like, where does time go? And so, um, when he was in elementary school, he was walking distance from the house. And so he'd walk home a lot. And then... Um, one day it was it was a snowy day and I told him Gabriel I mean you don't ever have to ask for a ride if it's a day like this just know that your dad's going to pick you up if it's snowy or rainy or wet just know your dad's going to pick you up he was probably in fourth or fifth grade and so I said you don't like just know Like, I'm going to come get you if it's like this. Okay, Dad. You know, we went on several weeks, and then it was one of those days where you go in to school in the morning, and it's really nice. And then by the time you come out, it's snowy, and the wind is blowing, and it's just turned nasty. And so I went to go pick him up. And he had started walking. And so a car sees him walking and stops. It was it was his coach from his little football team and says and I'm pulling up right behind coach and I hear and Gabe can't see me because his back is to me, and I hear coach say, Hey Gabe, do you need a ride? And Gabe's response almost brought me to tears. Gabe says, No. My daddy says anytime it's weather like this, he'll always pick me up. He was willing to let a ride go because of what his daddy had told him. He was willing to stand firm in the word of his earthly dad that said, I'm going to go pick you up on a day like today. And he, the guy took off and then right behind him I pull up. I, I'm almost in tears. Right, And it's so cold that they're freezing to my face. But he was able to stand firm because he he had confidence in the word of his father. And that's what James is saying right here. Look, he's coming. And regardless of the circumstance or situation, stand firm and confident in the word of your father. Right? Boy, we sometimes I wish that it was. Uh, The very next one is do not grumble. It's this idea of grumbling. In this is that idea of uh, judging. Um, uh, And so he's talking about grumbling and blaming others and complaining. And let me tell you something. It is easier to grumble and blame and complain than it is ever to take responsibility for our own actions. And again, it's this idea, I I think Miss Denise hit it right on the head. God is asking us to do this work in our lives continually so that we recognize that the work isn't done until he comes. There is work to be done in each and every one of us. None of us has been perfected. I've come pretty close. But we're still working on that humility. None of us has reached that perfect, and we never will. There will always be something. But sometimes we want to grumble and complain and blame others and judge others and say, "Well, I'm not half bad." Have you seen Biff? <laughs> man, I've, I've man, I I've got it all much more put together than Melody, right? And it's this idea of grumbling and complaining and judging and. And James is saying, no, 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 no. That's not how we continue to work in ourselves and grow in the Lord until the coming of the Lord. Again, he says it in, uh, in the book of Matthew. We, we could read it. It's that idea of work on yourself before you start working on others. You know, take that log out of your eye before you start taking specks out of my brother's eye. The thing is, we should see those logs in our own eye, but... Sometimes we're really blind to them. Either we're really blind to them, or we just don't want to admit there's still a whole lot of work left to do in me. I know there's a lot of work left to do in me. I do. I know that, you know, and, and I know, and I could sit here and I could list those areas where God needs to work in me. You know what, I think right now, each of us is going to share our most horrendous current sin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Murray. Yeah, yeah. That's not the way,
0: that's not the way, but I know, can we be honest? If everyone knew everything about each and every one of us, we might be embarrassed. Maybe we get angry too easy. Or maybe we're way too negative. Or maybe we're gossipers. I never repeat gossip. So listen closely the first time. <laughs> but it's this idea of don't grumble, don't complain, don't blame, don't judge. And I love this idea. Uh, the, the, at the end of that passage, what does it say about the judge? He's standing at the door. While I'm judging and grumbling and complaining and trying to take the speck out of everyone else's eye, the one who ultimately is the judge of everyone in all things is standing at the door and watching. It's, It's like that typical comedic gag that happens in... Movies and television shows where someone's saying something about somebody else and ta da da and then they're like, "Oh, is that he's right behind me, right?" <laughs> and as I judge and complain and grumble, the one who ultimately has a say over all of those things is standing at the door and watching my life. Um, verse four: again, we 're rushing through some of these things, I'm sure. Um, just to get to the end. Bear suffering. Uh, and um, the great exa- what's the great example here of bearing suffering? Job. Here in this passage, his example is, hey, go look at Job. Right? Uh, and so it's this idea that suffering is easier to tolerate in light of this. Tolerate in light of the coming of Christ. Guess what? This world isn't my home. Ultimately, this world stands against who I am and who is in me. And so it should be no surprise that I'll be suffering in this world. It shouldn't surprise anybody. It shouldn't surprise me. What did Jesus say? Of course they're going to hate you. Guess what? They hated me. They're going to... They're gonna treat you badly. They've always treated those who represent me badly. Again, the idea here is through the prophets. It's, it's just a natural part. When you are in this world, but not of this world, things can be difficult for you. And that's what that's what Christ says we that's who Christ says we are. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We're visitors, we're tourists. Everybody hates tourists. And it's this idea of just bear with it because ultimately the reward is huge. Bear with the suffering because you won't have to suffer forever. Bear with the suffering because, like Job. You'll see the purpose of the Lord in it all. And I love the way he ends that passage. He says, uh, "How the Lord is compassionate and merciful, in the midst of our suffering, and we're all going to suffer to some degree or other. Let this thought be in your fore, let, let this thought be in your mind. Okay, I might be suffering, but here's what I know about God and His character. He is compassionate, and He is merciful. We'll finish off just real quick. Like I said, time flew a little bit more than I thought it might. Uh, he finishes off with this idea of do not swear. Um, do you think that means when we go to the courthouse and they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So, Do you think that's what he's talking about? No. No, I I really don't. Like, I would not have a problem putting my hand on the Bible. and I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but... I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about, ultimately, is flippant attitudes towards the truth. uh, I heard something? Uh, Or or blasphemous. But this is even different, because it it really is... kind of saying hey be a person of integrity i, I think maybe tamil what did you say about that earlier maybe it was while we were doing this oh keep your word that's what miss tamil is that's how miss tamil and it's that idea it's this idea of you should be such a person of honesty and integrity that when you say something people accept it as the truth all of us have had kids who are liars like, each of us has had that kid that perpetually lies to us, right? And what, once we figure out that that kid is a perpetual liar, something always happens. When they tell us something, they qualify it with, I promise. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking Oh, no, no, I promise I'm telling the truth. Well, you know what? If you were a kid of integrity that didn't lie, you'd never have to promise that you were telling the truth because you'd say something and I would automatically believe you. And sometimes that's the way we are. We are not living in light of the coming of Christ and so our speech is tainted by not having integrity is tainted by untruth and so we say something to somebody and they don't believe us and so we want to buttress it up with oh no 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 I promise and Jesus and rather God is saying here through this letter you know what live a life of such integrity that you don't have to do that that when you say something when you say yes you don't even have to say I promise because people know that you're a person of your word and you know why that's important because being a man or woman of our word ultimately reflects a God who is a God of his word. God has never lied. Never lied. Every one of his words remain true. And he said, live your life out like that until I come again. And so he makes this shift into a call of how we live our lives. In light of the coming of Christ, I said it last time. I'll say it again. I've said it several times. My favorite part of communion is when Howard says, Do this in remembrance of me, of him, until he comes again. And he is coming again. I want you to leave here remembering he is coming again. And we are being called to live a different light in light of His coming. Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness and Your faithfulness. Thank You for um, the challenge to our lives to live them in light of Your coming. I pray that we would be patient and steadfast without grumbling, bearing suffering and people of integrity. That we might draw men to You. Until you come again. And you are coming again. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.